You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Sponsored by Dext. Make the businesses you advise more productive, profitable and powerful with better data and insights. Talent in the Accounting Podcast. This is the special episodes we do on behalf of the Accounting Influencers Podcast with me, Rob Brown, where we bring in experts from all over the world to talk about talent, to talk about talent and culture and recruitment and all the great things going on in the accounting world. I'm thrilled to have me today. One of the leading headhunters and consulting professionals for recruitment, it is Adrian O'Connor. Good day, sir. Good morning, good afternoon. How are you doing? Wherever we are. We're an international podcast, Adrian, so uh, all time zones apply. Great to have you with us. For people that haven't come across you, give us a little bit about your world, Adrian, and your background. Okay, so um, I run a business called the Global Accounting Network. We are, as the name suggests, I got uh, a lot of Mickey taking for that, but as the name suggests, we are a global network of accountants. But essentially, we're a headhunting, search, recruitment, and staffing firm servicing mid to see, largely mid to senior accounting and finance positions. Um, so we started in London about 12 years ago. Um, and have grown to have offices in, in the US and we're doing some stuff in Europe, um, but essentially helping accountants and finance professionals around the world with their careers and build their teams. I'm going to talk about how recruitment has changed over the years, but let's just talk about the accounting profession. The Americans tend to call it an industry. We'll call it a profession. It's like legal and medical. We've earned our stripes as accountants. So how much have you seen that change over the years? Um, I think it's it's innovated. It's changed in some regards. And then lots of it has stayed broadly the same. I mean, it's a, it's a relatively traditional uh, profession. And I think in some regards, it's resisted change. Um, but equally with the advent of new technologies, automation, you know, there's been forced change in some regards. Um, I think if we look at the the staffing and the movement of staff, that you know, this you still see this big drive into public practice or public accounting straight out of college and then out into industry two or three years later, depending on whether you're US or UK. Um, and that hasn't changed, but what people are looking for from that has changed. Um, so I think that it's, it's a really a real mixed bag. Would you go so far from the conversations you have with accounting firm leaders to say that the accounting profession has an image problem or a recruitment problem in bringing people in? We know that less people are taking accounting degrees. We know that less people are looking at private practice or public accounting as a career option. We even know that there's a a leaching out from private practice, public firms into industry, into fintech, into commerce and into other roles, even into entrepreneurship. So is that the accounting profession as a whole? I think the, the public accounting firms, the public practices have an image problem because the feeling is that people work really, really hard there for uh, for their training and through their tutelage, et cetera. And they get brilliant training for that and they come out with, with their CPA or their ACA or whatever. Um, but they work people really, really hard. They go from busy season to busy season. You know, audit can be repetitive. These are the conversations we have time and time again with people. Um, and I think that that's probably more widely publicized with LinkedIn and, and social media and stuff than it used to be before all of that technology was there. So certainly that's an issue. Um, I think that the vast majority of candidates we talk to do their qualification in public practice 
And as soon as that's done, are looking to get out and looking to do something that's not audit and perhaps is more forward-looking or more commercial. So um, I think the accounting firms are, are constantly fighting against that. Um, and then I think it's very difficult for accounting firms to differentiate themselves one against the other in the marketplace. And I think that can be a real problem as well. Why is it difficult for them to differentiate themselves? You're absolutely right. One website for a firm looks pretty much the same as another, the same shade of blue, the same fonts, the same promises, the same values, the same vacancies, the same buzzwords around career development. Why don't they differentiate? I think largely the perception is audit is audit. Um, and you might go into a different client base. You might go into a different sector or, or part of industry, but it's still audit. Um, and there's not going to be a huge amount of variation on that. I think that they're fairly traditional firms, typically, in the way that they're structured and the way that they promote and the way they develop people. And the cultures tend to be fairly traditional. Um, and so it's difficult to differentiate yourself on that basis as well. And if you're on the outside looking in, if you're, let's say you work for the 70th firm in, in the top 100 and you're looking for 50th, how does firm 50 differentiate itself from firm 51 or firm 49? Yeah, they're broadly doing the same work for a very similar client base. Um, and I don't think they think about employer branding enough, if at all. And that's not exclusive to the accounting firms. You know, if you, we look at lots of work in, in commerce and we work with brilliant commercial organizations that whose brand is phenomenal and they're really, really well known in their market. They're not known in the accounting and finance world. And so the conversation we're having quite frequently is, okay, we, you know, you're, you're trying to attract the best finance and accounting people you can, but you don't have an accounting and finance employer brand. So you know, we need to work with you on that. So it's not exclusive to the profession. It happens very often in commerce as well. You mentioned the term employer brand. It wasn't one that we recognized a few years ago. We had a corporate brand, which is how we put out our image to the outside world and attracted clients and customers, all of that. Then we had the advent of personal branding, which is how you as an individual sell yourself and what you stand for. But we're in an era now, particularly post-COVID, where the talent is in command, the talent's in control. You don't expect as an accounting firm that people will beat a path to your door and you can pick and choose. So the whole recruitment phase has changed and this employer brand becomes a weapon doesn't it in the talent space Adrian? yeah and it should have been for a long time and we first started talking about it probably 15 16 years ago and first like well, you were ahead of the game then there really yeah we, we were trying to help clients with it even at that point and yeah we're talking about big clients as well not just the small ones um but it is something that's really important and i, I don't think enough companies put any thought into it um but the whole recruitment sort of um, marketplace and ecosystem has changed almost immeasurably over the last 10 years. Um, and I think that the industry itself probably is slow to catch up with, with what's going on. I think cl the client base is probably even slower to catch up. Well, let's talk about the industry in recruitment, because if we're saying that accounting has an image problem or a, a, a reputation issue, what about recruitment? What are people saying about the recruitment industry right now? I don't listen. <laughs> You're impervious. You've got thick skin, Adrian. It's rarely positive. Um, so I think that the the industry has a bad reputation, and I think some of that is deserved, and some of that is self perpetuating. But I do I do also think that the industry is is kind of broken. So um, 25 years ago, I started my recruitment career, and at that point, we there was no internet advertising. We just about had email. We used to fax CVs. You know, there was no LinkedIn. Yeah, if you got four or five applicants for a job, you were delighted. Um, and as a job seeker, if you saw two or three jobs that, that caught your fancy, that was fantastic because you're looking in the Times or whatever the, the trade publications are. The information age has changed that immeasurably. 
And so now there's so much white noise and it's so easy to fire off applications and everybody's got access to LinkedIn. So everybody can see all the people. And it just creates a whole new ecosystem in which we operate. And it's changed the way that recruitment companies have to work. And it should change the way clients work as well, but I'm not sure it has quite yet. But the the one thing that hasn't really changed is the commercial model. Um, and so clients largely still instruct multiple agencies. They work on a contingent basis, so they only pay on success. Um, and it doesn't really set anybody up for success in the right way. And I would ask any of your clients, if you're if you're working in an accounting firm and one of your clients said, hey, look, we've got this audit. It's a really complex audit. It's going to take some time. We'd like you to do it for us. Here's a 30-minute briefing. Um, we're also going to give it to three of your competitors, and we're only going to pay the one of you that's, that gives us the best result. How many of your audit firms would take that on? Goodness me. When you put it like that. Well, arguably, if you're good at what you do, you wouldn't take it on. You, unless you're desperate for work, you wouldn't take that on. But that's what these firms are asking the recruiters to do. So if you're a good recruiter, you're looking at that and going, well, I don't want to take that on because I've only got a one in four chance of filling it. All of the work that I do will add value to that process because I'll be consulting, I'll be helping them with job descriptions, I'll be helping them recognize what the market is doing and what's available in the marketplace. And so all of that stuff contributes and I get paid nothing. And to do it properly requires a completely different mindset, I think. When accounting firms need to recruit, and let's face it, they all do now. Talent is in shortage. We know that. Accounting firms are growing because the demands placed on them by their business clients are, are heavier than ever. Not just the audit and compliance and tax work, but the advisory stuff and navigating through the complexities of a modern economic climate. So accountants are in demand. They've got to grow headcount. They need to capitalize on opportunities. They need more resource. Generally on that journey, their first port of call would be to recruit themselves or even hire an internal recruiter and try and fix it. What are the flaws in that approach, Adrian? So I think internal recruiters have a really tough job, particularly in big firms. So quite often they are expected to recruit multidisciplinaries, right? So, so you might have IT roles, accounting roles, you might have support roles, you might have consulting roles, corporate finance roles, whatever it might be. And you're expected to be an expert in all of those, have a network in all of those, be able to make all of those roles sound attractive to a market where you probably don't know what people find attractive and manage 50 vacancies all at once. And that's a really, really tough job. And I think that, you know, that's, that doesn't get recognized enough. Um, and 90% of the time, those, those vacancies still get filled by an agency because the agency is deep in that marketplace. They have the understanding of that marketplace. They know what will appeal to the candidates and what won't. I'll give you an example. We did a, a retained search for uh, a FTSE 10 company in the US recently. So the US role and They've had it three months with their internal recruiters and not got anywhere close to filling it. So we filled the first one in just under four weeks. And the candidate that we filled it with had been approached by the company directly, but hadn't gone for the job because the message that they sent didn't make the job sound attractive. Now, that's not the fault of the internal recruiters because they're not finance experts. So they didn't know how to market that role in the same way that someone like me does, because I've been doing it for 25 years in that marketplace. Um, and so that's, that, that's partly where it breaks down. Um, and I think that the internal recruiters take on so much, but they can't be expected to be experts in everything. Um, and I also think, you know, if you're if you look at the way the job seekers look for their roles now, you know, the vast majority of job seekers find their jobs through agencies. You know, they'll fire off applications um, left, right, and centre on LinkedIn, but they'll probably get their jobs through agencies. Um, and if they've gone to the right agencies, those agencies will say, look, let me do this for you. Let's put together a plan. Let's work out what sectors, what segments of the market we should be going after. 
Let's look at who we know in that marketplace. Let's take that to market for you so that you can carry on doing your job and I'll go out and, and get you your next job. Um, and that's a far more candidate-driven approach than, than it used to be. And I think it's really valuable. And that's typically how the best people are getting their jobs, I think. So a recruitment agency would then be the next step in the decision-making process for an accounting firm. Our internal recruiters are not doing it. Oh, we haven't got an internal recruitment function and our ads in the newspapers and trade publications are not working so we need to engage some outside help now let's pause briefly to look at the outsourcing and offshoring option as a way to boost capacity when does that work and when doesn't it work adrian oh, i don't know the answer to that question if i'm honest i hate to say that but i don't know the answer i think i've seen so many work and so many not work and so many onshore and you know you talk to one company on a monday and they're offshoring and they talk to another company on tuesday they're onshoring. <laughs> it's just been a nightmare um, and so I really don't know that there's a, a sort of magic answer to that. Um, I think that you, know, you see organizations that have tried offshoring and they've had massive staff turnover in the offshore um, position, which affects their, their brand, it affects their client experience. Um, and so I think that's been problematic. But you know, it's not it's not something I've got a huge amount of experience of other than talking to customers that are doing one or the other um, and seeing you know, what they're doing with it. Your answer in itself speaks to the uh, vagaries of outsourcing and offshoring and that it can be up and down and, and difficult to understand. Okay, so I'm a leader in a, an accounting firm and I know that I need to go to a recruitment company, a recruitment firm, an agency that you're talking about. What are my options there? Because for the uneducated, there's the headhunting and the retained, there's the, the PSLs coming in, there's contingent recruitment. Just give us a flavor of the different options that get offered to accounting firms, Adrian. So I think the traditional approach, as I mentioned earlier, is the contingency recruitment with multiple agencies. So that's effectively where you brief three agencies, four agencies, whatever it might be. You give them all the same brief, the same opportunity, and you pay the one that finds you the, the right candidate. First, first cross the post, if you like. Yeah. Now, there's a, I think there's a big disparity between what a client thinks they get from that versus what they actually get. What do they think they get? They think they get four really motivated recruiters that are all going to go out and do the most thorough job they possibly can and spend so much time really trying to do a deep dive into the market and find them absolutely the best person. What do they actually get? Well, the challenge with that is the recruiters know they've got a one in chance, one in four chance of filling it, maybe one in five if internal is still doing it as well. So you've got a 20% chance of filling that job. How much of your time can you really dedicate to deep diving into that marketplace and really doing loads of research and loads of screening and whatever, if you know you've only got a 20% chance of filling that job, you're going to give it some time. But actually, that system rewards speed over thoroughness. Um, because if you know you've got to beat three other agencies, you've got to be fast. You can't be as thorough if you're fast. Often, they also want to do it cheaply. And there's a thing called the plumber's triangle, which I don't know if you've ever come across, but I can do it quickly and well, but not cheaply. I can do it quickly and cheaply, but not well or I can do it well and cheaply, but not quickly, but I can't do all three. Um, and so they think they're motivating people to do a great job and to be thorough, but actually what they're, they're motivating them to do is be fast. And fast in a recruitment scenario is rarely the best option. I've had a, uh, a similar one in a restaurant, right? You can have your food cheap, you can have it tasty, you can have it hot, or you can have it quick. And you can't have all four. <laughs> You've got to pick two or three that you really want. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's that's what they think they're getting. And, and in reality, they're getting people that will go out and they'll do an advert and they'll do a mail shot and they'll go to their database and they'll send you the best of the people that they can find. Now, I ask clients all the time. So think about your star performer, right? If you're, you think about your absolute star performer, is that person responding to a mail shot from an agency? Are they applying to adverts? And you're hoping not and you're expecting not. Neither is the star performer 
in your competitor. So that sort of cursory, low-hanging fruit approach is a long shot. It might work sometimes, but it's a long shot. Um, the, the phrase that I use a lot with clients is they should find one recruitment partner they trust, not four that they don't. And if you think you've got to give it to four people to get the result, it's because you don't trust any of them to do it well enough for you. Um, and personally, I don't I don't work competitive situations at all. So if, it, if it's out with other agencies, I'm, I'm not doing it. Um, so I just don't think it gets the right result. No, I, I appreciate that, the way you put it very well there. How do you feel about preferred supplier listings or agreements or things like that, where you are the firm that they go to for that particular thing, and there's only one of you on that for recruitment. Is that a fair way to do it? It is. Um, I think that preferred supplier lists, in my experience, typically have more than one firm on them. Oh, more than one. Okay, right. That's where you end up on this sort of contingent. You Got know, it. Okay. Fund so there's no PSL type arrangement where there is one accounting firm, one bank, one whatever. There's one of everything, and they're our preferred suppliers. Not very often. I mean, yeah, we, we tend to work a lot as the agency of choice. Um, but it comes down to relationships as much as anything else. And most of the time, preferred supplier lists are put together by HR procurement or internal resourcing. And they do a great job of that. But quite often that leaves the stakeholders themselves excluded from that process. So, for example, if you're working for a Fortune 500 manufacturing firm and you're the CFO or you're the VP finance, you've probably had no input at all into that preferred supplier list. If an accounting firm calls you up, Adrian, how do you start to challenge their thinking on what they believe is the, the right hiring process? Because the jobs market's changing right now. And I know you have a lot of these disruptive conversations, if you like, to change their thinking. It's about understanding what they've done in the past. Um, you know, there isn't a one size fits all. So I don't go into every meeting with this is my approach or this is the conversation I'm going to have. But I do want to understand what they've done in the past, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what the pain points are and why those pain points occurred and what the implications of those pain points are. Because ultimately, my job is to provide solutions. And unless I understand the problem, I can't provide a, a solution. So it's all about understanding that and then talking to them about why those things happened, how we can do them differently and what the outcome would be. Um, and I always tend to work back from the solution. So this is so this is actually what we're trying to achieve. Let me tell you how we can do that for you. Um, and it's presenting a consultative staffing based or talent based solution to the problems that you identify. Um, and so it's it's not a one size fits all, but yeah, there are there are themes to that. Is the retained arrangement, the headhunting, the executive search, is that the best model in your eyes? Because that's very bespoke, isn't it? It's certainly the best model in my eyes. Um, now, people are going to listen to this and think, well, of course it is, you're a recruiter. Um, but I think it's the best model for all parties. Um, and I think it is because to go from briefing to shortlist, if you're doing it properly, is at least 30 to 40 hours worth of work. Um, unless it's a really you know, commoditized role, in which case you can do it a, a bit quicker than that. But you know, typically 30 to 40 hours worth of work. Now, if you're asking my company to dedicate 30 to 40 hours worth of work to your company, there should be some payment for that. Um, now, you know, I, I can't imagine any of any of your audit companies are taking on the audit and saying, okay, we'll do all the work and then you can pay us if you like it. They're not, they're taking time. What it enables us to do if we take that retainer payment is allocate the resources to do the mapping, the deep dive into the marketplace to, to identify who the big moves and shakers are and who the best people are. Do the multi-channel approach to those people, woo them, cajole them, meet them, screen them, all that sort of stuff so that you get a thorough shortlist, not a quick shortlist. Um, now, what we sometimes do with new clients who perhaps are a bit nervous about that, maybe they they've never done that before, is we put a guarantee period in. So we'll say, look, 
the day you brief us, we'll set a date for the delivery of the shortlist. And that shortlist will contain three or more candidates that are suitable for interview. If we hit that date, all is good. If we miss that, we'll refund the retainer um, because that's us saying, we don't want money for nothing. You know, we, we believe we can do this and we believe we're going to do it well. If we don't deliver, we'll give you that money back. Um, and that can help with the risk management side of it. Um, but we've never had to do that. We've never, we've never had to give that money back because we're realistic. And if we, if we don't think we can do it, we won't take it on. And you said 30, 40 hours of work. That might surprise some of the listeners, watchers of this. But I, I heard of a firm recently that had a vacancy for an audit partner that remained open for a year. So there's a lot of work goes into filling that role that they've not been able to do and they've not wanted to hire anyone else to do it. So what kind of work does go into that 30, 40 hours, Adrian, to get that short list of three or four quality people? So part of it is mapping. So um, mapping out the parts of the industry that we need to target for this job, mapping out the firms that we need to part, um, target for this job. A lot of it is, is trying to get responses from people. Um, because if you're if you're a senior in an audit firm or a senior manager in an audit firm, you're probably working quite a few hours. I don't want to sort of belabor the point, but you're probably working quite hard. You're not sat on LinkedIn. You know, we don't very often we don't have switchboard numbers anymore, or switchboard numbers are not effective. So getting through to people is harder. So there's lots of multi-channel approaches, wooing, marketing campaigns, etc., that go into that. Screening. You know, if we get a long list of 40 people, all of those people have to be screened. So they're screened initially over the phone, then the best of them are met, the reference checks, the qualification checks, all of the things that go into making sure that when I send you three people, four people, five people, they can all do the job and you've just got to pick the one that you like the most. Um and that's how it should work. You shouldn't have to see more than three to five people and all of those people are suitable and you've just got to pick the one you like the most. Why would an accounting firm not bite your hand off at a proposition like that, given all the work you're doing for them and the, the fit that you're guaranteeing with that client to that candidate? There's, uh, what objections are coming up from them, Adrian, is what I want to know here. So look, this is the biggest one, and it's not accounting firms exclusively. It's, it's all, all, all finance and accounting leaders we talk. The biggest one is that's not how we do things. And it's just traditional thinking. It's like, well, I get that's not how you do things, but we've just discussed why how you do things isn't working. Exactly. And if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Um, and so that's the biggest one. And then we've got to get it signed off by HR. And, and you know, sometimes if there are lots of people in the in the decision making chain, you know, the person we we pitch it to thinks that's brilliant. I love that idea. Then they sell it to somebody else without the same level of gusto, knowledge, enthusiasm. And that person says, no, that's not how we do things. Um, so sometimes it's the decision making chain. Sometimes it's uh, it's traditional thinking. Often it's trust. Um, and, you know, I, I personally believe it's it's my job or it's our job to make the client trust us and if they don't take that idea on because they don't trust us then we haven't done our job properly you know it's not it's not up the client doesn't have to trust us they don't have to pay us up front and if they don't do it it's because we haven't made them comfortable enough to do it um, and that's the biggest thing we've seen a lot of change already in the accounting profession that you serve and the recruitment profession that you're in What's coming up over the next few years, Adrian? How are things going to change even more or is it just going to be more of the same? It's an interesting market because there is a lot of innovation as there is in everything. There's AI, there's automation, you know, all of that stuff. But we're also in a market where our customer base is actively investing in tools to not need us. Um, and I think, I think that's relatively unique. You know, if you look at all of the big firms, they're all investing millions in, in direct advertising, direct recruitment, automation tools, ATS system, whatever, so that they don't need agencies. So for us, we're looking at, well, our customer base is actively fighting against us, but we still know that they need us. And that, that's quite an interesting dynamic. So from the agency side, we've got to be innovative and smart and lean, and we've got to use automation and AI and you know do all the things that we need to do. I think that if you look at the last six years, I've never experienced 
such a dynamic period in recruitment. You, know, you went from you know 2019 where it was just higher, higher, higher. You know, so many vacancies and hardly any candidates, and you're really, really challenging to 2020 where the world fell apart and no one was hiring. Suddenly, you know, you, the candidates are being made redundant, and you, you've got a bit more of your pick of things to 2021 where it's like oh we might have let too many people go higher 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 um and you know you hold a cv up in the air and someone hires it to 2022 where it started to level off a little bit and maybe some over recruitment had been done and they're letting people go again and so it's been the most fluid that i've ever seen but through all of that most clients haven't adapted their recruitment processes they haven't changed their approach to the market they haven't really thought about it and i think that if you look at how businesses behave any other supply chain issue They'd be adapting, they'd be investing, they'd be looking at ways to to, to win the, the battle for that commodity. You know, if, you, if your business relied upon a widget and that widget was absolutely essential to the success of your business, you would make sure you invested in your supply chain and you adapted and you incentivized your suppliers that provided that widget for you. We'll put your contact details and your firm on our show notes here and so people can get in touch with you. But just in closing, what advice would you give to decision makers in professional firms that are seeing the talent problem? They know they need to engage professionals. How do they choose the right recruitment partner? That's a a, a very good question. I think look for the ones that challenge the status quo. You know, if you're if you you think about a, a builder that's cheap, you don't want to use a builder that's cheap because it's important. And if you if they're cheap, they're probably not very good. It might be the same in recruitment. Someone that's really willing to work cheaply probably isn't very good because they're too desperate for the business. Look for people. If, if someone just fits in with the status quo and doesn't try and understand the problems, the challenges, and actually talks to you about solutions, they're probably not very good. Um, you know, so look for people that challenge you. Look for people that ask you the difficult questions, and look for people that want to provide solutions. Um, but the industry, our industry is the same. So if you look at the websites, they're all homogenous. They all look the same. They all promise the same things. They've all got the same values. They all talk about client first and teamwork. And it, you've got to cut beneath it. Um, I think the other thing is challenge your internal process. You know, I think one, it, there's a big difference, actually, if you look at the UK versus the US, in my experience. In the UK, the stakeholder is typically much more willing to challenge the way things are done in recruitment internally than they are in the US. I, don't, I honestly, if I knew the answer, I probably might have retired by now, but um, I, I don't genuinely don't know. But it, it, you know, it was a big thing I noticed when I first started recruiting in the US. You know, if you find a senior finance professional in a firm in the UK, whether it's commerce or public practice, and they're struggling to recruit and you've got a candidate for them, they'll interview that candidate. And if they want to hire that candidate, they'll have the battle internally to get that candidate over the line. That doesn't happen anywhere near as much in the US. And I don't know if it's a more of a rule-based thinking. I don't know if it's because HR and procurement have more power, but I think it's far more difficult to find a, a stakeholder that will challenge that internal process. And if your internal process isn't working and if your success is dependent upon bringing in the best talent, you've got to challenge that. Your career depends upon it. Your team depends upon it. Um, and I think we need to see more of that. And at the Global Accounting Network there, you don't just work for the clients, you represent candidates too, don't you? So you will take candidates to market, as it were. You'll be approached with resumes and CVs and can you find me a place? So what advice, finally, Adrian, would you give to accounting professionals that are out there, perhaps a little bit unsettled? They're looking for something. They don't know where that is. They don't know what's available. They want some representation, if you like, somebody to stand in the gap. What's going through their mind and what should they be asking themselves in in coming to a place where you can help? So I think that... Um... The market is challenging at the moment. And I think that's causing some nervousness in terms of people moving. That you know, maybe people are putting their career a little bit on a back foot in order to stay put and be safe. I don't think that's necessary. I think that you can 
go out and speak to people. You can speak to agencies. You can get a feel for the market without putting yourself at risk. I always think that in the same way, it's difficult to differentiate between the, the accounting firms. It's difficult to differentiate between the recruitment firms. And you've got the big firms, the Michael Pages, the Robert Halfs or whatever that are you know ubiquitous and everybody knows of them. But quite often, they don't they don't have a great reputation. You can be a bit heavily commoditized if you work with them. Bit of a number. Exactly. Um, and so I think, you know, if you're going to work with a firm, phone up that firm and speak to somebody. You know, find somebody in that firm that you trust. And if you don't trust them, then register with a different firm. There's lots of recruitment firms out there. I think, you know, there's 65,000 recruitment firms in the US, 40,000 recruitment firms. Other way around, 65,000 in the UK, 42, 43,000 in the US. Um, there are plenty for you to talk to. But talk to them. If they ask questions, the right questions, if they challenge you, if they seem interested in you, and if they can talk about how they can help you achieve your goals, that's interesting. If they're just interested in selling you a job, probably go and find somebody. Adrian O'Connor, this has been enlightening. Thank you so much for your insights and the way you challenged us today to think about recruitment and the whole talent space coming up. It's been super enjoyable. Thanks for your time. Well, I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Sponsored by Advanced Track, helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring. Mm-hmm.